0: Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of the All of You Whole podcast, hosted by me, Caroline Fossil, entrepreneur, wellness expert, author, and speaker. My goal is to help you build a healthy, connected, and intentional life that fulfills your greatest purpose. Go ahead and hit that pause button and then the plus button to subscribe to this show so you get more impactful content each and every week. We would also love it if you would leave a five-star rating and review. This helps people you and I don't even know find the show. And lastly, please share an episode you love with whoever you can. Sharing is caring and that's how we continue to grow. And as always, I am forever grateful for your support. Today on the show, we get to chat with my new friend, Hilda Gore, otherwise known as Holistic Hilda. Hilda is a ball of joy. She is so much fun. You're going to have fun even just listening to this episode. It was so fun chatting with her about all of the different places all over the globe that she has visited with a purpose of really finding out ancient practices that people groups are still doing today. She has learned so much from these people and I really admire her approach to this topic. She's so respectful when she talks to people and she really just wants to learn how they're living and how it has blessed their lives. Without further ado, here is Holistic Hilda. Welcome to the show, Hilda. Honestly, I'm really just excited to hang out with you today. It's going to be so fun. Yeah, I am too. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you, Caroline, for having me. Yes. So first, for listeners who don't already follow and love you, can you tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you do? So I'm known as Holistic
1: Hilda because my full name is a little complicated. (laughs) I'm Latina, so it's like de Tijerina, like, you know what, I'll just tell people I'm holistic, Hilda. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm the host and producer of the Wise Traditions podcast, and that kind of launched me into this kind of Dora the Explorer 2.0 situation where I love to travel the world yeah. uncovering ancient health traditions to restore the energy and vitality of humanity. It is my passion, Caroline. So yeah. I only started doing it once I started the podcast because I realized, oh, I'm doing it for this group that's all about this dentist researcher from the 1930s who traveled the world doing the same thing. And I thought that was a hundred years ago. Like maybe we need to see if anybody's still living this way now and what can we learn from them? So that kind of launched my trajectory. I've been podcasting for about, this is year eight And I'm also a health coach and an experiential anthropologist, is what I call myself.
0: Ooh, I love that so much. So like you said, you host and produce the Weston A. Price Foundation podcast. So I want to know, I mean, you've been with them eight plus years. What brought you to them in the first place? It was really my best friend because (laughs) she
1: had chronic fatigue. Hmm. She was working in Africa at the time. And she came home, literally Caroline, she was laid out flat. She couldn't do anything. She was exhausted. Wow. The definition of chronic fatigue. And the thing is now doctors still don't know what to do with you. If you have this issue, they, you know, maybe offered some temporary things to alleviate symptoms, you know, hydrocortisone cream. And I don't even know what all, but she really wasn't finding any relief Mm -hmm. or long-term solutions. Right. So she met Sally Fallon Morell, the president of this foundation that I work for at yeah. a health fair. She said, Elda, this woman is glowing with health. She's older, but she looks amazing. I want to do whatever she's doing. And Sally had written a book called Nourishing Traditions. She yeah. handed it to my best friend. And that was the beginning of Lisa's improvement wow. and my own health trajectory. Where I was like, oh, I was just all about working out. I was like, just stay fit. doesn't matter what you right. eat. Right. And then I realized, oh my gosh, it totally matters. Right. And I'm so glad that my friend found out about it through Sally. And so it was kind of a ripple effect.
0: Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. And how would you, if you could put Weston a. Price's beliefs and like foundational principles in kind of a nutshell or an eggshell, what would that be? How would you describe it to us?
1: I would describe it as looking to the past for good health today. Yes. That's basically
0: what they're about. Look to the past for good
1: health today, particularly in regard to diet. So Dr. Price traveled the world, like I was saying, but he went to these really different people groups. He went to people in the South Sea Pacific Islands and people in Alaska and then Kenya and Australia. It was all over the map, literally. They all had different diets, but they had commonalities, Caroline. Mm -hmm. So the things they had in common, he made note of in his book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. And so Mm -hmm. this foundation was established in his name, to lift up this ancient wisdom. Does it mean the diets are identical around the world? No. But does it mean they're absolutely nourishing and vital to good health? Yes.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I know it's crazy how many trends we're seeing in recent years and the government or people are saying, oh, well, it's the saturated fats that are bad. It's eating meats that's bad. It's X, Y, Z that's bad. And you're like, guys, We ate those things and we're fine for so long, right? And so I think about my grandmother, my father is pretty old. And so my grandmother was born in 1904 or 1906. And I mean, I remember going to her house and she's like, go get me the lard. And we're like, I'm sorry, the what? She's like, oh yeah, give me the lard, (laughs) baking everything in lard, making biscuits with butter and lard. And like, she died when she was 91, right? Like, it's just, I do think going back to what our grandparents, great-grandparents, and then also looking back to our ancestors, I think there's so many keys to our health today. So you have traveled the world, Dora the Explorer (laughs) 2.0, learning about (laughs) ancient practices and wisdom passed down through the generations like we're talking about. You've really done a lot of discovery. So I'm super excited to hear these stories today and just learn what you have learned. But first, I want to know, how did you get this motivation to learn these things and to couple nutrition and knowledge and learning with travel? It's a good question.
1: I'm thinking first that it's one thing to have head knowledge. It's another to have experiential knowledge. Yeah. So when my friend was telling me, it does matter what we eat, I needed to experience that for myself as... Scientists like to say N equals one. So you are your own perfect study group. You can have a control group if you have a spouse or partner or friend that wants to go on it with you. But try just eating more ancestrally. And I would literally start with butter. Just start with something that is ancient, like a single ingredient kind of food, like butter. You know, it's made from the cow's milk. It's not complicated. You could add salt if you wanted to, but shake it up. You can end up with some butter and then see how you feel after including it. Caroline, that was the first step I did. I really? didn't go outside. I went inside to see what yep. worked for me and my family. So I put raw milk on the table and I started with a year of butter. I felt like it was a Chinese calendar situation. Like this is the year of butter. Yes. Next year is the <laughs> you know, grass-fed meat. The third year is... I <laughs> love that. It really was helpful. And I really want to challenge the listener to just give this a shot. So you might yeah. want to get your fat straight or right. start with raw milk. These are very different products than what we've been told, as you alluded to earlier, about what right. to eat. But... Remember that the food industry doesn't have your health in mind. They have no. the bottom line financially, yep. the profit for themselves in mind. So literally, how Crisco came about, which was a substitute <sighs> for lard, right, was because they had some like leftover petroleum products. It's crazy. I kid you not. And they turned it into a lard-like product because they're like, hey, this kind of looks like lard. What if we sold it not right. just for candles, but for human consumption? And then yeah. what happened? Consequently our health has gone downhill. So I'm not just saying this because, you know, I've experienced it. I can kind of see it now too. I look at pictures of people from the 1950s and 60s before this stuff was introduced. They look amazing. They were eating meat, butter, raw milk, all the things. And then when it shifted to quote unquote, low fat and it became more sugar and more grains, people have gotten heavy and covered with chronic conditions. So I think I wanted to experience for myself, what will these ancestral traditional foods do for me? And, I really wanted to see, are people still living this way today? A hundred years after the work of Dr. Price.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to find out. Are they still living this way? So tell us, we have some stories here lined up of places you've been, people you've met. Tell us about Ole Sanku, and tell me if I'm saying that wrong, in Kenya.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. So I ended up in Kenya. That was the first place I went on behalf of the Weston A. Price Foundation because- a Maasai warrior contacted the foundation. He said, please send someone over. We're all getting sick. He's like, I have diabetes. My wife has asthma. Caroline, these are the Maasai, like these tall, right. strong, hale and hearty people, a, a tribal yes. group with a lot of a reputation for strength and vitality. Right. And they were suffering. He had come across some of the information from the foundation and he said, oh my goodness, I've seen the physical degeneration mm. of my people and my own family. Wow! So they sent me over, little me, I was just a chapter leader at the time. And I was like, are you sure you don't want to send someone else? But I was the first one to raise my hand. And Sally's like, you go, first come, first serve. I was like, okay, I was quick on the draw. So there I ended up in Kenya in this village called Oiti on the border of Tanzania. And this man came to visit my warrior friend, Dixon and I, and he came with a walking stick. But other than that, he came under his own auspices. He was obviously older. I found out later he was so old. He didn't know how old he was. <laughs> don't you love Literally. that? They don't even keep track. No, they didn't keep track. But so here he comes. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to talk to this man. I need to find out what he ate as a child, what his life was like, right. how healthy he was. So I grabbed my iPhone. I clicked voice memo. And I started asking him questions. And through a translator present, I asked a question. They put it into Swahili. Then they put it into Ma. It was like this long process yes. to get the question to him and the answer back. But this is what he said. He said, when I said, what did you eat when you were growing up? What did you, what was your diet? He said, whatever we could catch. <laughs> he said, The best whatever answer. we could catch. Yeah, yes. they were hunters. They were just eating off the land. It was like a wild hippopotamus or rhinoceros or a zebra. You know, really, it was whatever they could catch. And then he said, and now they say to me, you know, well, when I asked him, like, what did you do when you were sick? He said, well, we never got sick. We <laughs> never got sick. We were always healthy. Right. I was like, wait, what? I was shocked. And he said, whenever we felt a shiver coming on, we would just drink milk from the cow. And he demonstrated drinking it straight from the udder. No, that's amazing. Yes, I know. And then he said, but now they tell me your grandchildren need to wear jackets. He said, but we didn't have jackets. And yeah. he said, and now they tell me a disease is coming and we need all these shots, but we didn't have shots. He was basically telling me, Caroline, our people knew how to nourish ourselves well and how to live well. And with modernity, things have changed. And I did say to him, I said, Ole Sanku, what? I don't know. Maybe I just said Ole because we gotten close by that time. But I was like, Ole, what happened? Like, what is the difference? Why are they changing your traditions? He said, education. And what he meant by that was not only were his kids learning to, let's say, read and write and arithmetic or whatever. They were getting inculcated with modern culture, quote unquote, and saying these old ways are bad and the new ways are good. Right. But- this man knew better
0: right yeah so then what was his conclusion like have you followed up do you know like what did he take away from your knowledge and going back to his roots well this was the most beautiful
1: thing i really get moved when i stop and think about it i had the privilege of going there and saying don't eat our way goodness don't eat the american way eat the way that has served you for millennia right I spoke to the women in the village. I spoke Mm. to the men. I spoke to the youth. By the conclusion of my time, a pastor got up in front of the congregation. They had a little church there in Oiti. And he said, starting today, the women will cook our traditional foods. And I kind of cringed because I was like, oh no, are they going to be mad at me? (laughs) Yeah. I'm pushing them. But no, I found out later, this tribe makes their decisions by consensus. They had discussed it together and the elders had come together and said, this is what we need. So when I went back a year later, Oh, the wow. conclusion, so to speak, is that they were indeed doing this because they were already incorporating sodas into their lives and chai oh. tea and white bread and all the things they could get from the shop. And yeah. they were turning around. Dixon's wife, the contact, the warrior that contacted us, she had left her little preschool job and she was cultivating more crops in her backyard. And she's like, I save some for my family, like, you know, carrots and what have you. What do they call it? A wiki or something is the name for kale over there. Anyway, She had some stuff for her food and for her family, some food for her family, and the rest she would sell at market. So they were making the shift back to real foods and it was so beautiful to witness.
0: Oh, I am so glad, yeah. And I mean, honestly, you hear the negative stories of whether it's a missionary or someone traveling who says, instead of saying what you said, which is, you know best, let's go back to what you've been doing Saying, I know best. Like, I'm the white woman from America. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know the Western culture is better. I just love and applaud that you're helping them go back to the basics that we're serving them and have for millennia. Oh, man, that's so great. So, next up, we have Mama Rosita in Ecuador. What did you learn from Mama Rosita?
1: Mama Rosita was such a beautiful person. When I first met her, I was getting a tour of the hospital where she worked, which might sound oh. strange, but let me explain. So she is a midwife and a healer, partera and curandera, mm-hmm. a Quechua woman or Quechua woman from Ecuador. And she was like a bridge between her community and modern medicine. Oh. And so the hospital in, there in San Otavalo, I think it was San Luis de Otavalo, said, we want to invite women to have their babies here, but they're kind of intimidated by all the machines and stuff. And they thought, what right. if we partner with a midwife who knows the culture, the language, all the traditions and such. Yes. So it was so beautiful because Mama Rosita took me to this birthing room that looked like a regular home. And she said, we don't do invasive procedures. We let yeah. the woman even give birth standing up if she wants. Like yeah. It was such a beautiful, beautiful honoring of the traditions. And even the doctor who was her colleague and peer said, that he followed her cues for how to help the women if they did come into a distressing moment in the pregnancy or the labor and delivery. But the most beautiful thing I learned from Mama Rosita, apart from her being a beautiful bridge between modernity and ancient times, was that she said to me, nuestro cuerpo es sagrado. Mm. Our body is holy. And she repeated this to me, Caroline, so many times. And I think she had witnessed so many births. She just recognized The power of the body to heal, it's natural, beautiful healing design. And I thought, wow, if I could absorb that message and share it with others and remind them you are beautiful and perfect in your design. Every person around us is beautiful and holy and divine in some regard as children of God. If I could share that, maybe they would feed themselves differently. Maybe they would care for themselves differently, right?
0: Yes. No, that's so good. And I mean, I know we are both Christians and not all of our listeners are, but we think of our bodies as temples, right? And like we have God inside of us, right? And it's funny because you look back in the Old Testament and the crazy amount of detail that went into building the temple, right? It's like, this needs to be gold. This needs to be purple. This thing needs to be here. Like it was so specific and so ornate and so beautiful, but also like it just had to be so specific for God to be able to dwell in this temple. And it's like, we think of our body, I don't know. I feel like we can just get so down on our bodies and I don't look this way or I feel this way. I have this disease, but how life-giving even just from our thoughts thinking of ourselves as a temple or as mama rosita said as holy right as sacred man that is such a beautiful beautiful thought and perspective it really is i'm so grateful that you mentioned that about the detail i kind of forgot about that
1: and i've been told a scientist can dissect the eye and understand certain parts of it, but you know, there are parts of it that they can't understand why it's there or even the DNA that they say we have. Some scientists say there's this whole bunch of junk DNA. They call it junk because they can't explain it or wrap their heads around it yet. They haven't been able to analyze it. So think about our bodies that way. Like they are marvelously designed, so intricate that- while we can patch some things together, the body can do something no doctor or scientist can do. It can actually heal itself. They can't make the skin come back together over a scar. The body does that.
0: So it's a beautiful
1: perspective and respect for the body when you look Mm. at it that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So next we have Suzanne Thompson in Australia. What did you learn from Suzanne?
1: Two things I would say. One is she is a woman that I met outside of the town of Barcalden on the east coast of Australia. Yeah. And she showed me some land that she had custodianship over. Mm. And she said, You know, Hilda, at first I wanted to be a Vidal Sassoon hairstylist. And that's a fine career choice. But she said, I started paying attention to my dreams and to, mm. she felt like her ancestors were giving her visions of what to do. And it was much larger. Than yeah. just that career. And so now she oversees all this land. She's trying to get archaeologists to come in and study the ancient paintings that they have on the oh, walls wow. of the caves. Like it's crazy and mind blowing. And I thought, oh, so she's taught me to stay still and listen. And she did tell me, or maybe it was her companion who was from a different Aboriginal tribe. Yeah. This woman said in our tribal custom, we have something we call didiri, which is a deep listening. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. she said, if we are still We get more guidance. And I thought, wow, that reminds me of Psalm 46:10. You know, be still in God. So there's a sense in which we need to stop being human doings and come back to being human beings Mm. to receive that word and some guidance for what to do with our lives. We might still be in that salon, for goodness sakes, but what if we did it with more love because we stopped to listen to what God wanted to pour into us? So I found that was beautiful. And then the second thing, which is kind of cute, Suzanne took me up on a cliff on her property and she just pointed to the whole view and she said, Hilda, This was our grocery store, this. I was like, oh my gosh, we're so far removed from that. Like we still now buy so many things packaged up and they even say heart healthy and keto and all these things on it. But I really want us all to go back to more, natural, whole, real foods, foods like Michael Pollan says that our yes. grandparents or great grandparents would recognize as food. And you understand this, Caroline. Yeah, so totally. I hope the listener does too. Like just take simple steps in that direction. It's not like I'm, everything is going to be perfect and unpackaged, but the closer we get to that, the more healing our, our bodies will get. And also the more nutrient nutrition that will strengthen our bodies. You know, like we, Find those foods are more quality than quantity. You're not going to get a huge bag of chips for a dollar from outside. You'll get some potatoes, though, and maybe (laughs) you can make them more nutritious than they would be in that bag.
0: Yeah, no, that's so good. Yes. We are so disconnected, right? We're so disconnected from where our food comes from, which is why it's so fun that we met at Rome Ranch in Texas. And it's so fun to see where your food comes from, to see the bison that honestly, maybe you're going to eat a year from now, right? To have that connection. And it can be hard to do in an urban setting, a modern setting. You know, I'm I'm in Denver in the city. I can see Denver from where I'm sitting right now, the city. But even just like small gardening, right? Like teaching my kids how to garden, how, how? what are companion plants, what are combative plants, like learning those things. And it's funny, I've never quite thought of it this way. But as you were speaking, Hilda, I was thinking the land heals us right? So we're eating things from the land, but it should be cyclical that we're also working to heal the land. So it's really this relationship. And I've thought these thoughts in different ways, but (laughs) just thinking it really specifically in that cyclical way of like the land heals us, we continue to heal the land and like trying as much as possible to continue to be in that cycle as much as we can. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I think a little bit, too, about
1: our relationship with our spouses. Like they always say in a marriage, it's not 50-50, it's 100-100. In other words, we're both giving to each other and we're nurturing each other. And so you're right, just as we take the harvest from the land, what if we gave back by actually having a garden, yes, in the backyard or doing things that are having less of a carbon footprint and actually eating regenerative? I'll just say for any listeners who are environmentally conscious, like, one of the best carbon sequesters, one of the best ways to keep carbon in the soil is to let cattle and pigs and chickens disturb the soil because they kind of till it almost and then they yeah. fertilize it with their manure and it's just this beautiful give and take. Yeah. And so we don't want to necessarily wipe the planet free of these animals. I don't think they're causing climate change. I think it's more that we need to manage them better, let them live their best 100%. lives and then we can too.
0: Yeah, and I mean, even like the moment that I realized oh carbon sequestration is proper land management (laughs) you know Uh it is putting that back into the soil like soil's the best carbon capture that's just That is the truth, right? And so, yeah, we can do things by buying these regeneratively grown products. I say products like animals, right? Yeah. And local is fabulous. If not, we've had Will Harris on the show from White Oak Pastures. I love Will. I love Will. I'm like, Will, please be my grandfather forever and ever (laughs) amen. I love that man to death. And you know, Rome Ranch, we're big fans of. So there are places, it's so amazing, even in the past three, five years, being able to i can go to natural grocers and find regenerative meat and yes. regeneratively grown products i mean that that to me is when i'm like the future is bright right like we are changing things yes okay hilda you also went to peru mm-hmm. and you met with the quichua men is that correct yes oh my gosh i hardly ever talk about this so this was so beautiful
1: so i was with my friend katita She is known as Yo Soy Pachamamista. I am a kind of Mother Earth fan, if you will, as she calls herself. She's so sweet. And she is all about fermentation. And she Mm -hmm. also lived in Peru for some time. So she said to me, Hilda, let's go down. Yeah, Let's connect with some people down there who are doing things this regenerative way, as you were describing. So we went up, I think it was outside of Cusco, and we got to connect with these Quechua men. And... They had had a long day farming. I'm telling you, these men look like they were going to fall asleep when I was trying to talk to them and ask questions. For sure. One did say to me, and Katita and I remember this differently, but I remember it distinctly because I journaled about it. He said to me, what you're saying doesn't make sense. And I was saying, Hmm. you know, we have to look to the past for good health today. He said, what you're saying doesn't make sense because in our tradition, there is no past. And he said, and there is no future. He said, our ancestors are with us right now. And I was like, mind blown. You know, I just, I'm still like shocked to think about it, but I do think time is a way in which we measure things here on earth, but it's a little bit of an artificial construct. Like, you know, it's almost like if God can see the whole big picture or the whole big football field and I'm at the 50 yard line, I don't know what's going to happen when I move past that yard line. He does. It's like already kind of predestined if you will. Yes. And so it just it kind of blew my mind to think not only is God like that, but what if our ancestors like the Bible says there's a great cloud of witnesses, what if they're two on the sidelines like cheering us on with us? They're not back there, they're right. not over there, they're right with us. And that really moved me and also informs how I behave now and the kind of sense that I know that I'm not just doing something for the future when I choose to eat well or spend time with a loved one as opposed to working, Mm. you know, there are all these choices we make every day, even the tiniest ones to hang out with your child instead of tossing in another load of laundry. It takes some discipline to stick with the love because you kind of want to check off the productivity box. But if you take the time to nurture the things that really are the most important and valuable, you're blessing everybody right here, right now, not just the children in the future and pleasing your ancestors from the past. It's right here, right now.
0: Mm, man, yeah, that blows my mind. When I start thinking about God being outside of time, I like my brain just short circuits, you know? It's <laughs> like but he knows. Yeah, <laughs> It blows my mind. No, I love that so much. So I want to know, talking about all these beautiful, wonderful people with really ancient wisdom and insights. How do you go about planning your travel? And do you make these connections in advance? Like, do you know I'm going to go reach out to Suzanne in Australia? Is that something that you do in advance? Or do you just kind of go with an open itinerary, open mind, and you make the connections that you make?
1: I have to say it's a little bit of both. Okay. For example, in Kenya, I went because Dixon called the foundation. Yes. To Australia, it was some connections I had through the Weston A. Price Foundation who helped me connect with others there. Because in some places, it's not easy to find indigenous people. And last fall, I went to Mongolia with my friend, Mary Ruddick, who I interviewed on the podcast. She's known as the Sherlock Holmes of health. She's amazing. She is definitely an ancestral nutrition expert. Yeah. She's fascinating. So she said to me, I'm going to Mongolia, come with me. So it's, it can be any of the above. In all of those cases, I just mentioned, it was someone kind of helping me line up. But there have been times, including when I've been with Mary, I was with her in Mexico in January, where we happened upon someone who was like, we're going to do an ancient ceremony tonight. Do you want to join us? And we're like, yes. <laughs> we yeah. us hesitated, So it can be a mix. I do know this summer I'm going to some places with Mary, Papua New Guinea is one. Oh, and wow. Possibly some other folk places as well. And sometimes we have people we know that we're trying to connect with. And sometimes we just have to leave it up to God and see what happens. But mostly yeah. we do prepare because that way you come in knowing what to expect. And and yeah. To be honest with you too, Caroline, there's a we try to take our time because we're not trying to invade these people either and be like right. here we come with our cameras and microphones. Like we right. want to respect them. So there's a fine line. We make sure that they're willing to share, but we also try to build that relationship and trust because we're not trying to take advantage of them. But more Mm -hmm. often than not, the people are willing to open their hearts and share what they have because they know that this wisdom is not theirs alone. It has been handed down to them and trusted to them. And they know that more people that can avail themselves of it, the better.
0: Mm. No, that's so good. Yeah, that's so good. There is a there is a fine line. And it, I mean, it sounds like you're very respectful. And it also sounds like when you've got a good thing, you want to tell other people about it, right? Like that is your yeah. brand. That is my brand. Like, I don't have all of it figured out. But as I figure out little pieces, th- I keep telling I like I figured out minerals last year. And I'm that's all I can talk about, you know, So we <laughs> become passionate about things. And then you want to share with other people. So I love that that's been your experience that that these different people groups that you're going to are excited about their own lives, they have joy in how they live their lives, what they're eating, their ancestral traditions that they have, and then they're willing to share. So I want to know, what future plans do you have? Where are you going next? What are we going to talk about when you come back next time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to Switzerland in
1: July. Wow. With Tanya Teshke. She's the author of The Bordeaux Kitchen. Again, one connection leads to the next, right? Yeah. So we're going to be hiking in the Alps and seeing where Dr. Price himself went in the Luchantau Valley to examine some isolated people groups there and learn from them. It was amazing. He wrote about them in his book. And then later in the summer, like I said, it'll be Papua New Guinea and some places in the East, but I'm, I'm very excited. I can talk about all those things when I get back for sure.
0: Yes. That's so amazing. So I want to know two more questions for you, our final two questions. So when you are, 120 at the end of your life and you're looking back, what does a successful life look like to you?
1: Well, I'll probably be 140. <laughs> ah, there you go. Yeah.
0: You take my 120 and you up it. <laughs> exactly.
1: For starters, I'll be
0: 140.
1: Oh, all I can think of is a phrase in Spanish that my mom used to say all the time. May she rest in peace. She would say, hay que sacarle el jugo de la vida. And I just want mm-hmm. people to be able to say, she squeezed every last drop of joy out of this life. And I really want to them to say that they felt loved as well. So it's like that I was overflowing, I guess I would say, with joy and love, because at the end of the day, that's what matters most.
0: Mm, I love that so much. And I know I can say personally, you definitely make people around you feel loved. Thank you so much for being here, Hilda. Where are the best places for people to connect with you further? I have to decide because I'm in a lot of
1: different places. I would say Instagram, Holistic Hilda. I'm there a lot, just posting little reels and whatnot. But if they want to see some of the people I've talked about, I do have some videos on my YouTube channel, Holistic Hilda. And of course, they can go to my website, holistichilda.com, and listen to the Wise Traditions podcast.
0: Awesome. Thanks for being here, Hilda. It's been a blast. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you so much for being here today, Hilda. It was such a joy and a treat to chat with you. Listeners, if you are interested in more of what Hilda is up to, be sure to check out the show notes for her Instagram, YouTube, website. Thanks so much for listening and I will see y'all next week.